are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. podcast will be slightly different than what you have come to expect from us. You see, the captain went on a very important away mission this past weekend to San Diego Comic-Con. And as I'm sure many of our listeners know, this experience, though scintillating, can be quite draining. And upon her return, the captain and I decided... Spock! Spock! Stop everything! I am here! (laughs) Excuse me, sir. I thought... No, no. Don't say it. Don't even think it. The mere idea of doing this podcast without me was such an extreme blasphemy, such an obvious miscalculation, such an egregious display of something. I'm sure I stand with everyone when I say that we're very glad to see you, sir. Yes, of course. But aren't you still in need of rest and recovery? After the most epic of Comic-Con adventures? Yes. No. I must admit, I find myself a bit confused. Let me explain. After an amazing and indeed exhilarating experience at SDCC, I began to notice the parallels between my own interactions there and the topic of discussion today on fandom attachments. I think you mean parasocial interactions, also known as parasocial relationships. Yes, yes, fandom attachments, exactly what I said. Now, fandom attachments. Um... Yes. What is it? Well, I thought that before we dive into today's topic, we might want to remind folks who we are. Sure. Uh, Right. Uh, I'm Justine Mastin, marriage and family therapist, writer, yoga teacher, and newly back from SDCC to tell you all the things. And I'm Laura Sagarski. I'm also a marriage and family therapist. I'm a writer, researcher, and the beleaguered first officer of the Starship Therapies. Happy to be here, I see. Yes, as always. (laughs) Just a reminder to our folks at home that just because we are therapists, that doesn't mean that we are your therapists, unless we are. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Well said. Thank you. I've had a great teacher. Aww. Well, (laughs) welcome back aboard the Starship Therapies, friends. Now can we get back to fandom attachments? By all means, sir. Perhaps it would be helpful to give our listeners a bit of background on what we mean by fandom attachments? Sure, that's that's a good point. Fandom attachments, or parasocial interactions, as they were first coined by Horton and Wool in 1956, refer to the relationship we, the audience, have with a celebrity or a character. So they're one-sided. Mm-hmm. And these fandom attachments historically have a bit of a bad rap initially thought of as poor replacements for social engagement, the muggle research is coming around to the idea that fandom attachments might be both helpful and even beneficial. Rather than fostering maladaptive tendencies, fandom attachments can help folks who struggle with attachments, IRL, to form positive connections in a safer environment. Not only that, a shared attachment is what creates fandom. Yay. And in that way, parasocial relationships, foster relationships, IRL, so those hater researchers can fucking bite me. 
fascinating. <laughs> I can't help but think about the parallels between fandom attachments and attachment theory, which attempts to describe the ways that early bonding with our core caregivers impacts our ability to form both short and long-term attachments or relationships with others later in life. Yes. Spock, you are quite adept at noticing parallels between theories. Do you think this would be a worthwhile diversion for us? As a matter of fact, I do. And I, I know that's shocking. Um, <laughs> but my love for research aside, I do genuinely think that attachment research provides a helpful link in explaining the why of fandom attachment. Many of our listeners can probably attest to the fact that making friends is hard, particularly for those of us who aren't gifted in the extroverted skill set. The thought of going out into the world and engaging a stranger in conversation can be deeply unsettling, if not truly terrifying. Attachment theory explains that a result of this pain can be insecure attachment, meaning that we want to connect, but just aren't sure how. So instead a person might retreat and avoid? Exactly. And here's where fandom attachment can be so helpful. A great example of fandom attachment can be found in the Supernatural fandom. Oh yeah, ask any member of the SPN family and they will be happy to tell you. They certainly will. Because Sam and Dean aren't going anywhere. In fact, you know that every time you log on a Netflix or pop in an SPN DVD, they will be there, ready and waiting to connect with you. This low-risk but high-reward scenario encourages the fan to continue to engage in this positive attachment process. I could cite another study here. But I won't. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. This does lead into another important point related to fandom attachments. Participating in the fandom can lead to increased positive exchanges with others within that fandom. Tell me more. Put another way, the more you participate with the characters of Supernatural while watching the show, the more your knowledge of the show expands, the more your headcanon grows, and in all likelihood, the more you want to share your fandom theories and ideas with others. DSTL forever. I prefer Destiel, but yes. And once you're able to find others who share your fandom attachment, be it online, at a convention, or out walking your dog, you realize that you have a shared language or a shortcut to understanding each other. This shared language or shortcut can allow once frightening exchanges to feel not only less frightening, but potentially even exciting or enjoyable. But how can listeners go about finding like-minded fellow fans, do you think? Ooh, that was quite the alliterative question. Spending time with you does have its perks. One day, our shared language will be so advanced that you will pun with the greatest of ease. Somehow I very much doubt that, sir. Well, that's fine. I'll believe for both of us. So anyway, some of the ways that these IRL attachments form is through meeting at conventions or letting your geek banner fly by wearing some fan merch and that makes you visible to your fellow fans so they can find you and realize that you have this shortcut to understanding well all of this sounds positive and fun i think there can be a darker side to getting out there and talking about fandoms with your fellow fans a darker side fandom attachments are wonderful and restorative they offer the opportunity for corrective emotional experiences, both with characters and with others. How could there possibly be a darker side? Well, I mean, hear, hear me out here. It all goes back to the origin of fandom attachments. Initially, we make them solo, with just ourselves and the characters we grow to love. 
Sometimes the stories we co-create with them within our own headcanon can become so strong that they don't allow any other interpretations or variations. So when we encounter a fellow fan and potential friend who, just as an example, believes that Dean Winchester belongs with someone other than Castiel, nope. we might react. There is only Destiel. Dean and Cast belong together, and while it might not be technical canon yet, there are so many instances of when Dean is checking dudes out, and specifically yes, checking yes, Kaz out. Yes, yes, thank you, oh. thank you. I, I think you've made my point exactly, sir. Oh, yeah, I, I see what you did there. So <laughs> how, how do we combat this and use our fandom attachments positively? The first thing to do in these kinds of interactions, you know, with a fellow fan who you are realizing perhaps just in that moment has a slightly different or maybe a super different headcanon than you, is to take a big mindful step back and to remind yourself that as much as you love Destiel, this nice fellow human loves a different pairing. Sure. Okay, take a step back and acknowledge that all ships are valid ships, even if they aren't my ships. Remember to breathe. <sighs> Very good. Now, you might try channeling Sam's sincere moosiness or Dean's squirrely wit to give you an idea of how to approach this fellow human's headcanon with compassionate curiosity rather than aggressive rage. Okay, I can do this. I, I can do this. I just say... Why, hello there, friend. I see that you... No, I can't. I, I can't be curious about this. I do not care about their thoughts on their headcanon. Well, that does happen sometimes. And when it does, I think one of the most helpful things to do is to take another step back, either metaphorically or literally, but not too far as to make the person think that you are just like leaving them. <laughs> You know, maybe like a small, like literal step back, but then like a larger metaphorical step back. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And after you've done that, you try to say something maybe funny, such as, I respect your opinion, but profoundly disagree with your logic. Perhaps we could discuss the finer points of Crowley's reign as the king of hell. That is something funny, huh? I thought that was terribly humorous, sir. Fascinating. Before we wrap, I just want to spend a moment talking about how other people in our lives view phantom attachments. Just like the hater researchers of old, some folks in our lives might not understand our phantom attachments, or they might consider them unhealthy. This is one of the more stigmatized aspects of geek life, the fact that we form attachments that are one-sided and often with characters that are fictional. But there is a basic lack of understanding here. I hate to be dramatic. No, no, I love to be dramatic. But I don't believe this is hyperbole. I truly believe that fandom attachments save lives. Talk to any geek and they will tell you about a character who helped them through a difficult time, brought them back from the brink of despair, and gave them hope. Now come at me and tell me that parasocial relationships aren't fucking positive. Or at the very least, do not have the potential to be a wholly positive experience. Yes, totally positive. So now it's time to uh, wrap up and maybe give our listeners a few tips to strengthen and expand their fandom attachments. 
where do you think we might start? We've already talked about a couple things like wearing the merch of your fandom as a great way to kind of initiate conversation. We've talked about the benefits of going to conventions. What else? It seems like you have you have thoughts coming to mind there, Captain. So I'm going to stop talking and just let you fly. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I want to double down on the importance of of wearing your fandom on your sleeve, uh, both metaphorically and literally, um, because I can't tell you how many times I have met people because I saw they were wearing a Supernatural related shirt. And I just said, Supernatural family. And they were like, woo. And then suddenly we were friends. <laughs> Or at least we have that shortcut to understanding. Uh, we have, we know we at least have that one thing in common. And that one thing is a pretty important thing in both of our lives, obviously. Yeah, and I definitely want to second that. You know, I have to now go out and, and admit, and I'm, I'm somewhat ashamed to admit this, but I don't actually have any Supernatural merch. Um... Other you than do a, have that. I have a button. I have a wonderful button that I wear in my backpack, but I don't think it's large enough. And I think sometimes people just think it means that I'm like Wiccan or um, <laughs> pro heavy metal music, uh, neither of which are t true of me personally. But like, it's great if that's what you're into. But you I have, have had this happen. You have <laughs> his, uh, uh, his janitor's uniform from after school special. You have Sam's janitor uniform. I do. Because we wore we wore those to a, a convention. We did, and that paired with my height um, meant that I was a dead ringer for Sam if he had um, I don't know used uh, nice and easy to dye his hair blonde. But I, I digress. <laughs> what I was going to say is, while I've never been able to interact with uh, my SPN fan because of the merch I'm wearing yet, I have had that opportunity with both Zelda and Mass Effect, and it is a really cool experience to have a stranger come up to you and comment on your sweatshirt or your t-shirt and suddenly you are talking about the you know pros and cons of breath of the wild and comparing it to majora's mask and if i hadn't worn that there's no way i would have been able to have that exchange with that human it's it's very much a sign and indicator that i am friendly and open and ready to talk about these fandoms that are so close to my heart absolutely and I realize not everybody feels like they want to go to a convention or maybe conventions feel like a scary whole lot of peopling situation. Mm -hmm. um, so there are other ways to meet like-minded folks that share your fandom attachments online. Right. Um, That's a great point. Yeah. You can, you can go to Tumblr and search the tag for your fandom. If you have not already done that, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a blanket warning that there's going to be some ships you don't agree with <laughs> that you will find. Um, so you're going to you're going to use that skill we talked about, taking a big step back mm -hmm. and taking a yes. breath because you will say, wow, you put a lot of work into that fan video for that ship. I don't ship. <laughs> and that's OK. I'm right. just going to keep scrolling. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook fan run pages, all of them can be great ways to connect with fellow fans to build those relationships. They can also open up into kind of the darker side, which we sort of hinted at a little bit in today's app of fandom attachments, which can be that we sometimes hold so tightly 
to the stories and interpretations that we have of these characters and their stories that it can feel not just upsetting, but I think sometimes threatening to the relationship that we have with these characters when someone disagrees with us. And what I would just encourage all of our listeners to think about when this happens is to just start to bring awareness to that when it's happening, because it may not be that this person is trying to attack your ship. It may just be that they are trying to share joy about the ship that they, you know, currently love. On the flip side, sometimes they are being attacking and then you get to say no, thank you. Mm hmm. And to ignore them or block them on the Twitter or uh, take a giant step back and do something else that feels restorative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember, friends, you do not have to attend every argument that you are invited to. Oh, well said. Well said, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, And as you were talking, I was thinking back to last ep when we were talking about Mm self-compassion and this is a great opportunity for both compassion for other and compassion for self because clearly people are saying some stuff that is maybe not stuff that we agree with, but can, can we have compassion for this other human being? Can we acknowledge that their feelings are valid and that also that our feelings are valid and find, and find a way to do something kind for ourselves. We remember our three steps to self-compassion. Acknowledge that we're suffering. In that moment, you are having that ship conversation. You are suffering. Yes. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Recognize that suffering is a universal human experience. I am not suffering alone. Somewhere, someone is suffering with me. (laughs) Many of us have suffered when we encounter someone who does not believe in the Destiel ship as wholeheartedly as we believe. And then how can I do something kind for myself in this moment? I can take a few deep breaths. And if we're online, I can look at a GIF of my ship while we talk about their ship. And they don't have to know that. They don't. That's the beauty of (laughs) online interaction. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was well said and so beautifully put together. However, I realize that we are we are at a close for today's episode on fandom attachments. As always, I want to kind of shout out some additional concepts or thinkers, f- things that folks at home, you guys, you can Google if you want more information, if you, like myself, are very much in love with research. And then you don't have to if you don't want to. No, you definitely don't have to. You can nope that so hard, uh, just <laughs> as, as the captain does. <laughs> I say, Larissa, will you Google that and tell me what you found? (laughs) And I say, yes, I'd be happy to. (laughs) So things that you can Google if you want or not Google if you prefer not to would be parasocial interactions, um, also known as parasocial relationships, the concept of the corrective emotional experience, attachment theory, social exchange theory, and then John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. Apologies to both John and Mary, because let's be real here, I probably just butchered the pronunciation of your last names. We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. To Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duffy, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens, who rocks his fandom attachment to Lisa Simpson like a saxophone. Tune in next. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next. Oh my god. 
tune in to our next app where we talk about family of choice. And be sure to follow us on all of the social medias. Uh, we are now on Facebook and Twitter if you prefer to tweet. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And the best thing that you can do to help our program is to rate and review us on iTunes. So be sure to do so. As always, friends, live, live long, long and, and prosper. prosper.